Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Today we've got a great show planned for you. We have the always popular Alex Vassar joining us from the California State Library. Alex, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Oh, doing good. I mean, well, it's it's been an interesting year, but uh, doing doing good. Yeah. How is it running a library in a pandemic? You know, what kind of customers are you guys getting? Uh, well, well, you know, it's it's actually not me that runs the library. Uh, Greg Lucas, uh, who who tells even better stories than I do, uh, <laughs> is is the state librarian, right, and right. it has been. I think it's been a really hard. It's been a hard year because um, usually, yeah, we're we're holding events in in our conference rooms. We're giving tours, which. Hey, when, when things get back to normal, stop by. We, we have some absolutely amazing stuff. We have, we have 4 million books. So I always tell people, Hey, I, if, if we don't have a book for you, it's the, the problem is you, um, should, should be able to find at least one good book in, in 4 million. And, uh, yeah, it's been a big change. Uh, we're, we're switching over to providing, uh, information to government employees using online resources, uh, things like that. And, and so I guess, you know, can people come into the library? I guess it does it depend on what tier or you guys have have you guys just been closed since March? We, we have we have been closed since March, but providing online services. It's uh yeah, no, it, it has been um uh, we, we have found that you know, if you look at how people were using our library before the pandemic started, that, that actually has been working. It's been something we've been able to continue. Um because yeah, a lot of folks do use it online. There are some things, um we, we have different rooms uh, with different collections. And so I think in terms of how we serve our, our you know, one of our core constituent groups is, is the uh, state employees. A lot of that has been online access to scientific journals, things like that. The, the folks that have been really, really hard to serve and, and we have been trying to meet their needs are uh, folks making documentaries, uh, historians uh, who want to use images from our collection or access our materials. It's, it's just, our, our reading rooms are not open right now, and that's been really hard. No, understandable, understandable. Kind of, Alex, I, I wonder if you could give us a little background, kind of tell us about kind of your journey, how you got to the State Library, and kind of, sure. you know, as, as I recall, you, you started in the building as a staffer, is that right? I did, I did, yeah, I was, uh, I was a Senate Fellow in 2007, 2008 uh, for Senator Bob Dutton, and, you know, it's uh, the, the way that term limits works, um, everybody goes, who? It's like, oh no, Bob Dutton. I mean, it's it's one. It wasn't that long ago. It was it was twelve years ago, and and you say, oh no, Bob Dutton. He was he was the vice chair. No, he was he he was not. He was the vice chair of Senate budget during what was then a a very very difficult budget season, and he was on the Senate Rules Committee. It's like, no, no, he was he was a big player, and and it's like, oh, uh, that was a while ago. Uh, it's well, also true that was a while ago. So yeah, started with Senator Dutton. Um, ended up working for the Senate Republican Caucus for a few years, uh, kind of seeing things from a different angle uh, where it's not so much, you know, oh, you need to shepherd these bills through, but it's, hey, uh, can you, is there a really good reason? Is there, is there a reason? If you put resistance on bills, is it, do they have the power to get through? Uh, that's kind of the, you know, instead of pushing the bills, it's trying to slow them down and see if they can actually make it on their own. Um, worked at the Board of Equalization for a while and that was an interesting experience. BOE has definitely been shaken up since I was there. Exactly. Um, oh my goodness. And uh, we, we just, uh, yeah, I think we had in uh, 2000, what was it? It was 2014, uh, two gubernatorial cycles ago. Uh, we had the very, I think it was only the third time in, in the history of the BOE that we had a full BOE composed of former legislators. And I, I, I told several folks that I worked with, I said, this, this will change things. Legislators behave differently. Uh, than just 
tax collectors or interested members of the public. Legislators are different, and uh, and legislators were different. Right. <laughs> People are listening. And actually, to I, I think yeah. So it was it was it was the first yeah. So we had in two thousand what was two thousand fourteen. We had the it was the first time ever that the board of equalization was composed fully of former legislators, and then four years later, two thousand eighteen. It was the first time they all left. Uh, some due to term limits, some were going for other things, but it was, it was the, I think it was only the third time, yeah, that we had a full term turnover of, of the board. So the, the board has been through a lot. And then uh, after that, in 2017, I came to the state library and have been just absolutely loving that experience. It's been really, really cool. Yeah, kind of, you know, just follow those who, you know, follow you uh, socially, always see, you know, you're always posting these interesting stuff. Have you always had a, a great appreciation for California history and history in general? I, I think so. Uh, it's, um, I, I wasn't, wasn't born in California, and, but uh, spent most of my life here. And it's, it's an interesting place. I, I feel like, uh, you know, it, it is more than most other places. It's, it's a place that people come to. Uh, there, there are definitely folks that are born here, grow up here, live here. But it's also, it's, it's a very welcoming place to people from around the world. And so uh, we, we have a fascinating group of people. Um, I grew up down near Monterey, uh, which was the capital uh, during the uh, part of the Spanish era and, and most of the Mexican era in California. And it's always cool to go down and see Colton Hall where the first constitution was signed. And so just growing up with that, I always thought that was pretty cool. And then wanted to come up to Sacramento and see how things work. It's uh it's it's a uh, it's interesting when you have you have 120 people coming in representing different parts of the state to try to make policy to fit everybody. Uh, right. it's, it's a big challenge. You know, this is a time of the year just post election. You know, legislators, new legislators are coming in. Existing legislators are you know staffs moving around. People are looking yeah. for jobs. Uh, you have a lot of you know people who have graduated who are looking for jobs as well. Um, right. Kind of, can you tell us about your experience? You know, just graduating from school coming yeah. to look for a job here in Sacramento and kind of, you know, you know, how did, how did you get your first job with Senator Dutton? Kind of what, what's uh, your advice to people looking for oh my staff jobs? Well, so, so first of all, I don't know if you want to do it exactly like I did it. Uh, there are many different paths and, and uh, mine, mine took longer. Uh, always, always good to, to start with that. Um, I, I definitely did want to work for the legislature in 2004. I worked on an assembly campaign down in the Bay area. Uh, a, a long shot Republican named uh, Steve Poisner. It's like, he didn't win. Nobody's ever heard of him. It's okay. Um, he did some other stuff later. But uh, so Steve ran. And uh, during the campaign, we we met some of the former people who had represented that area um, in Congress and, and in the legislature. And somebody mentioned, they said, well, you know, it's been a really long time. Uh, but a long time ago, the 21st Assembly District was represented by a Republican. And that just, oh, that just stuck with me. And so I I thought, okay, after the election, I'll look that up. And so I did and, you know, went through the statement of votes uh, online. They're available back to like 1992. And then you can go into the library. A lot of good libraries have, have them back farther than that. And it wasn't in the 80s and it wasn't in the 70s and went back. And it, it was actually, uh, I think one of, I think it was the second to the end, uh, Republican who represented Assembly District 21 was Casper Weinberger, uh, who was Reagan's Secretary of Defense and fascinating guy. Wow. And so I thought, oh, I should, I should start a website uh, and, and tell some of the stories of these, these legislators. And so I started working on that. And so, yeah, I think I probably should have just come up to Sacramento and 
passed around a resume um, and and tried to, to interview. I, I didn't, alas, um, I, I just, that really didn't occur to me. And so what I, what I did instead was uh, build a website, spend four years uh, where I was selling alarm systems. Uh, boy, that's, that, that's rough business, commission only. Oh my goodness, anybody who, who works for the legislature, oh, just if you're, if you're not doing commission only sales, residential, door to door, you're, you're, that's a hard, hard job. And anything yeah. else in the legislature has gotta be easier than that. And so I did that, was selling alarm systems, working on computer stuff at night, trying to figure out who these people were. And, um, and then after four years, uh, four years after graduating, I applied for the Senate fellows uh, and did fine on my interview and, uh, and then came up and met Senator Dutton uh, my first week in the building. And uh, he was a interesting guy. Uh, first time I met him, they said, would you like to go down to the basement and, and meet him? He's, he's gonna be driving in. And I said, sure. And so he, he pulled into the Capitol and uh, he had been out hunting and he took a shotgun. This is like the first, like he didn't know my name yet, uh, but he, 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 he pulls up, reaches into the trunk, takes out a shotgun and hands it to me and says, hold this for a second. And a CHP officer was walking over and I was like, I, oh, this is the end of my career. This is, it was sweet while it lasted all one week, but this is it. And yeah, CHP officer walked up and was like, that is a nice shotgun. Can I see that? Said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, uh, yeah, so I um, let, let the officer, the very nice officer, see the shotgun. And uh, I thought this is an interesting guy. And so uh, interviewed with his staff and they, they liked me enough to keep me around. And so I, I was a... You passed the yeah, shotgun test. I huh? made it. I think, I think and one of the things I, 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 uh, I usually tell people who are applying for jobs is it's good to have something outside of just the usual stuff. It's, it's good to be able to talk about, you know, do you have any other skills to be able to say something? So one of the, one of the things is uh, I always encourage people who are applying for jobs to have other skills that they can talk about, just fun things. Uh, during my time as a... Uh, ADT alarm salesman. I, I got really good at picking locks. That was my, it's amazing how much easier it is to, to sell somebody an alarm system when you say, let, let, let me, your home security is based on your front lock. Let me show you how I can pick your lock. Um, and so I, I've always done pretty well uh, when, when you go in for a job interview and they say, okay, is there anything else you want to tell us? And you say, um, I'm really good at picking locks that are up to five pins. You know, so that's not great for six pin office locks, but right. shoot, does great on residential. And and it has nothing to do with anything, but it's it's a really good conversation starter. Um, good icebreaker. So it's a great icebreaker. Yeah, you go, they go, can you prove that? And it's like, do you have a lock? Um, hire me, hire me. And then and then you'll then you'll get to see it. Yeah. You ever uh, forget your keys? I'm right there for you. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the Senate Fellow Program, um, you know, I guess the yeah. Senate and the Assembly Fellows Program. I guess, can you give us a little, I guess, historical background on that and kind of, you know, um, how many fellows do they have each year and kind of, you know, how's the program going um, even today? Uh, sure. So the, the program has been going for quite a while. Uh, it started in 1958 as the uh, Ford Foundation Internship. And it was kind of cool. The, the very first class uh, of what became the Assembly Fellows, the, the Ford Foundation Interns, uh, there, were, there were five of them. Uh, and they were all placed in the assembly chief clerk's office. Uh, one of them was uh, Jim Driscoll, James Driscoll, and he later served as chief clerk from 1963 to 1986, uh, one of the longest serving chief clerks ever. Um, also, the uh, I think we had the Senate fellows started about a 
little about a decade later in the in the seventies, uh, the executive executive fellows started in the eighties, and then the judicial fellows started in the nineties. Uh, and there have been about twenty two hundred people have served as fellows uh, during those years through those programs. Uh, notably, notably, gotta mention one of the rock stars. Well, we we do have a lot. Okay, so let me qualify that. There are a lot of rock stars. Uh, two of the constitutional officers, uh, the attorney general and the uh, state controller, are both former fellows. Um, but one one that I love to mention is is Dotson Wilson, who started as an assembly fellow uh, in 1979 and was the longest continuously serving chief clerk. Um, people who are just starting jobs in the Capitol, Dotson Wilson, good name to know. Uh, everybody who's been around a little bit longer knows that name and. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always interesting to think when you have folks who are just coming in and it's like, oh, it's the post Dotson era, and they might not know who he was, who he is. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, that's kind of interesting, kind of you know, reading about California history and learning about, I guess, full time staff. You know, what year was it when you know full time staff, uh, you know, first came here to California? Um, as I recall, it was in sometime in the '60s, right? It was. So I, I, the the legislature was was really part time until um, until the mid '60s. It was, um, it, and it was interesting because you had a couple different things that came together. You had uh, the Supreme Court ruling, uh, one man, one vote. Um, was it uh, Baker v. Carr, where the U.S. Supreme Court said that all districts have to be uh, evenly uh, evenly drawn with with equal numbers of people, and so. Uh, one man, one vote, probably not not the correct term to use anymore. One person, one vote. Um, and so, yeah, so they had to, they had a massive redrawing of, of the state Senate, which caused a lot of state senators just did not want to do that. They, they were not interested in doing that. And so a lot of state senators retired. A lot of assembly members moved up. Um, and amazingly, it was it was just about that same time that the, the voters also approved the move to make the state legislature full time, uh, to not just meet for a few months a year. Uh, they were they were meeting generally in uh, you know every other year. One year they'd meet to talk about just the budget, and then in the other year they'd meet to talk about policy. And so um, it was that same time where kind of everything shifted. It was it was a lot like uh, 2012, where you had the new way of drawing districts combined with the new term limits and the top two primary. It was. Uh, just the, the the world changed and so uh you had a full-time legislature you had staff who weren't going to have other real jobs uh i mean that was that was pretty much what it was i think we had for a long time joe beak was the secretary of the senate for a long time through world war ii up to i i believe uh he might have been 20 years as secretary of the senate and it was but his, his real job, his full-time job was he ran a ferry between Coronado Island and San Diego. I mean, that was, that was who he was. It was, it, or wait, was that Coronado or Balboa? One of the two, one of the two, I'm sorry. Blanking on that right now. <laughs> one of the nice Southern California islands. One of the beauty, yes, yeah. yes. Beautiful place. And if, if, if you can get a job running a ferry between the two, you, life is made. Life Why would you come good. up to Sacramento, but you know? <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So that's um, yeah. They they shifted over and and staff grew over time. And um, I think you know one of the things uh, that we saw was with term limits, staff turnover just skyrocketed. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, it's it is a job where some people stay around a while, some people rotate. Um, but for for a while, it was it was really turning over pretty quickly. Um, 
and that thank goodness that that has started to slow now yeah kind of historically i guess how have capital staff transitioned from job to job both kind of inside and outside of the capital um I think the best answer to that is, is quickly. Uh, they, they, they transition quickly um, because uh, frequently for jobs inside the capital, when, when it comes up, you're, you are either ready, you have your resume ready to go or, or you don't. And so when I talk to the, the incoming fellows each year, uh, when, when they let me, um, what, what I always encourage them is, hey, hey please, um, you will be doing new things throughout the year. Keep a copy of your resume on your desk, like on, on your desktop, on, like not, not in a folder on your computer, but keep it on your desktop. Because when you do something new, you work with legislative council to draft amendments, like put, put that in your resume. When you, you, anything you do, keep it updated. Uh, but it's also valuable, not just for keeping it updated, but when there is a vacancy, and I mean, you, you know, especially in the first, first year of a two-year session, people are coming in, deciding very quickly, Oh, this is not for me. Um, I loved working on the campaign, but oh, this is this is not this is not my world. This is not what I enjoy. And so they there's a lot of turnover that first year, and so you never know. You 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 know you might come in as a ledge aide, and there's an opening for a ledge director, and it's like if you hear about an opening as a ledge director, you better just print out your resume and walk it over or email it over right now um, because it may not be open tomorrow. Um, yeah, I think, you know, outside of that, some folks go to civil service, uh, working, working for the state, uh, where I am now, Ooh, civil service, but um, it's, that, that's a slower process. That is a, a clearly a slower process. And it's, it's a very different kind of thing to do. But, um, and, and I, I have no idea, how do they become lobbyists? I, I, I defer to you. I have no idea. I've never done that. I've, I have no idea how people, I don't know where lobbyists come from. They, they come from somewhere. <laughs> Their mommy's tummy. Um, you, you know that. Right. <laughs> um, when two people love each other very much, sometimes yes. they create a lobbyist. You know. Sometimes they make a lobbyist, uh, so. <laughs> and then they have to register. You know, that's that's the bad. Got to register. And take that. Take that course. Exactly. And take a picture. Take a picture. It's, you, you're not a lobbyist. You can take that that picture for the book. Exactly. The Get your so. mugshot taken. You know, I guess in your experience, being a Senate fellow, kind of, I guess, how many fellows stick around and, and get another job in the building? Um, kind of, I guess, with the member they're, they're, they're with or with another member? I, I would say, in my experience, so, so each, each of the fellowships, uh, Senate and Assembly, Executive, each have 18 fellows uh, each year. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty solid inflow. And so I would say, you know, in, in the average class of 18, um, probably six leave to become, uh, go to law school, become well-paid people. Um, eight stay in the building to be less well-paid people. And, and then there, and then there are other folks who are doing things around either becoming lobbyists, uh, in, in my, in my class, we had several that became lobbyists. Um, one became a dentist, um, it's it's a it's a it's a wild group. Several I guess several several got appointments. Uh, several became uh, Jerry Brown appointees. So it's it's a lot, a lot of paths out. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting life. Kind of I guess your class of of fellows are you guys uh, close or you know people who who um, are in the fellowship together? Is it something where you guys stay in touch and and years down the road yeah. you know you keep in contact and uh, you know see where everyone's going. 
It, yeah, I think I think uh, I think we do. Um, definitely, some folks uh, some folks you're closer to than others. Um, there there was one fellow in my class uh, who was great. He was from Placerville, and he loved chewing sunflower seeds in the office. Um, so he was a country boy, and he became a pastor uh, up up the road up near Placerville, and so. Uh, he, he does not come down to Sacramento uh, very often. He's very happy up there. Um, other folks, uh, we had folks go back to home in Orange County. Um, and yeah, it's always, uh, I think every time, you know, if we have a business trip down to Orange County, I'll, I'll stop in and see uh, Chris Wynn, master of political trivia. Oh my goodness. He, he can tell you, if you give him a year, you say 1826, he can tell you everybody who was in the, the federal cabinet that year. Wow. Oh, Secretary of War was, and you're just like, that's amazing. So yeah, Chris Wynn, always a good person to stop in and see. A um, lot, a lot of fun seeing him. But yeah, I think we're pretty close. Kind of, you know, kind of with COVID nineteen, we're all experiencing, I guess, a different workflow. And I guess, you know, how are these, I guess, staffer kind of even these new fellow positions going to be, you know, a kind of a portion with kind of this new COVID reality we're going to have going into the new year. Um. I have no idea. I have no idea. It's um, the, I think we're, we're still learning more about, you know, what the first day of session is going to look like with the assembly over at Golden One uh, and the Senate. I mean, if just in terms of like a huge way that the Senate is redoing it, where it's only senators are present, families will not be present for the, for the swearing in the first day. That's so different. Um, so in terms of how staff will be fitting in, will, will staff be working from the Capitol? Will staff be working from apartments? Could could you be a Senate fellow from Irvine uh, and and like live full time in Irvine? Well, like, I get an apartment in Sacramento. It's right. it's a different year, and and I think different people are going to find different ways to make it work. Um, yeah, I, I think the the key qualification is uh, being smart and having a good internet connection. You got those two, and you can be a capital staffer from almost anywhere these days. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's different and I think um, I think we're just rolling with it and trying to see how does it work because there there is so much uh, that we just don't know about what's coming next I guess in the in the history of, of kind of the capital here in California how many times has session I guess been held outside of, of the capital itself uh, it has not been, it is, I think we can definitely say it's, it has not been a common thing uh, in terms of, uh, well, I guess, I guess one of the things depends on what you define as the capital. Um, in, uh, what was it, in 2000, um, we had a session of the legislature that was held in the, the old capital uh, at, in Benicia, the, the former state capital in Benicia, the legislature actually removed themselves from Sacramento and went back to there. Um, so I don't know if you want to count that, it's outside the capital. But uh, they held a joint session at the Sacramento Convention Center in the 70s uh, because the, uh, the Capitol was actually I mean, just, you know, everything repeats itself. We, 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 live, we live history and things repeat. The Capitol was under construction. Uh, they, they, you know, the things were happening. And so uh, there were these temporary chambers uh, out uh, just east of the Capitol on, on, the, on the Capitol steps out in Capitol Park. But the chambers were not big enough to hold a joint session in the way that they usually do in the assembly chambers. And so they actually had to rent space over in, uh, yeah, SAC, SAC Convention Center to hold a joint meeting. I think they were talking about the budget uh, that, that time. Um, and then prior to that, uh, there was another big remodel of the Capitol. I, I, I think you're, you're sensing a trend here. You're like, wait, this, 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 this seems to be a recurring thing. In uh, 1907, they were having uh, roof trouble 
at the Capitol. And so they actually, uh, they held session uh, in other locations uh, in Sacramento. The, the Turnverein, um, if you, uh, I think it's where, where Aqua is now. Uh, it's on the, the 900 block of K Street, um, right across from Alejandro's, great place to get lunch. Uh, is is the is this the former former senator um, movie theater and they would they they met there the legislature met there uh, in 1907 oh, among other places. Yeah, I, I guess you know in in this kind of special moment in time here we are with this pandemic you know we had another pandemic in 1918 uh, you know I guess you had World War II maybe some special circumstances there is there anything uh, you can see in the archives or the history you know from 1918 um, or from World War II where there's kind of a, a disrupted Senate or sessions like this? Um, I think they. Uh, I'm trying to. Well, it's interesting to be going through it right now because. There were certain things that didn't really make sense to me prior to going through 2020. Uh, one of which was they have the you know in, in 1918 during the during the big pandemic they had the two the two waves and everybody knew the second wave was bigger and I just didn't understand you know if they figured out that everybody should wear masks why was the second wave bigger and and now we're seeing it you know where we are now and say like, oh right. in 1918 people got tired of wearing masks. And so once it was winter um, and it was a really, really good time, it went from being a good time to wear masks to a really, really good time to wear masks. People were like, I've been wearing masks for months. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was when we had that spike. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that, that you see either, and I think a lot of what I'm thinking of in particular is World War I. Uh, World War II, the soldiers were definitely blocked, but World War I, the things that they went through, the, the Spanish flu, I, I think we still call it the Spanish flu, um, over in, in 1919, going into war, when they came back, there, there was really a bipartisan group um, who had a low tolerance for special talking or, or whatever we would call it. You know, in politics, it's, there's a nice way of saying things. And it was, no, no, World War I veterans do not have a high patience for colorful language and decorating. It's like, no. What do we got to do? And so it was, it was fascinating. I think in, um, uh, it was in 1940 where there was actually, uh, there was a coup and the speaker was, was kicked out and it was by a bipartisan group. And if you look at them, it, it's kind of one of these, you know, it wasn't partisan. What, what was, what was the, what was the thing that they really had in common? Uh, Cause it was, it was not just a few defections. It was, I think it was, it was a large number. Um, and it was, they were World War I vets. And the speaker was not a World War One vet, and so I think having gone through that uh, together, even if they weren't together on the battlefield, um, they they came together really, really strong, and they they that that held them together. Yeah. So hopefully the legislators of today will get through this together and think, man, look what we did. We we survived. We we did good in in extremely trying times. Uh, crazy trying times. Yeah. yeah. It Anything's possible. You know, one of the cool things I find is you can go, you know, to the archives, you can actually touch legislation and kind of do research from back, you know, from the beginning of statehood. Kind of, you know, I guess with all the technology and I guess all the amount of bills, what, what's being done to, I guess, kind of store that sense of, of history uh, going on right now uh, for future generations? Well, I think um, one, of, one of my favorite places as, as a staffer and as 
as me today um, is yeah going going and seeing the the institutions that, that protect California's history. Uh, State Archives is is an absolutely amazing place. Uh, like you said, they they have they have every bill ever, and not not just the not just the the printed copy the whatever that is printed on newspaper copy that that we are familiar with, but they have the the actual jacketed bill signed by the author, signed by the governor. Uh, it's it's amazing to be able to see that, like uh, Senate Constitutional Amendment Eight of uh, 1911, uh, which granted women's suffrage in California almost a decade ahead of anywhere else uh, in in the U.S. It was it was uh, you can hold it. Yeah, they, that's a great thing. You can actually. It's it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then oath, uh, the other one I love is oaths of office. Uh, if you go, you can see uh, they actually have uh, Reagan tried to swear in early, and so they actually have three oaths of office for uh, Governor Reagan. Um, he tried to swear in it like midnight on January 1st. And that's not when you do that. You actually do that. Uh, it's several days into the new year uh, is when the, when the term changed. I, I forget if it's the first Monday in January or what it is, but he tried to swear in on new year's day and that's not allowed, but they actually kept his oath of office. And so there's this extra oath of office. And, um, and then over at the state library, um, we've got, we, 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 we try to preserve the cultural history of the state. And so, um, I know what, what we've been doing recently is asking people to keep journals, take pictures, document this, this time that we're in, because it's really, really, it's really different than what people are used to. And so, um, you know, document that and, and send it in. We, we have a website, uh, COVID Diaries, um, where we're asking people to, to submit pictures. Uh, they have been. We've gotten hundreds of submissions, uh, everything from uh People showing, getting, getting used to wearing masks and, and having masks and uh, and home deliveries of groceries. Uh, you know, some people never thought of that before this, and now it's it's commonplace. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like, I why think, do we ever go in the store? What What was that? We we went to stores. Um, yeah, it's it it has it's been it's been so different. And um, you know, as as we're in it, we we kind of roll with it. I mean, that's kind of what we do is we kind of get used to it and and keep going forward. But um, I mean, there there are probably things like even you, even you, would would think back to March and go like, I don't remember the exact order that the lockdowns happened, or that my life my life changed in a lot of different ways. But what was what was that sequence? And so um, you know, we just always encourage people, hey, document your experiences, uh, and if if you are if you're up for sharing that with other folks, hey, send it in to us. Uh, we would love to preserve it. We we will take good care of it. But um, it's 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 important information. That's where we're living in history right now. No, no, definitely, definitely. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Um, I know you're very active on social media. Can you give everyone your, your Twitter handle so they can look you sure. up and, and follow you? So on, on Twitter, I am uh, Alex C. Vassar, uh, A-L-E-X-C-V-A-S-S-A-R. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of, lot of talking about politics and history and uh, just really enjoying seeing how history is being written today. No, definitely. Always usually a good... Good fun fact of the day. Every day you learn something new. And, well, yeah, it's every once in a while you go, oh, wait, I had no idea that that was the way it was. Yeah, no, totally. Totally appreciate it. Well, thank you well, so thanks much, for having Alex. Me thanks for joining us. And I uh, hope to have you on again in the future and, uh, you know, talk more about this exciting history we're living every day. So Sounds good. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Alex. Have a good one. Yep. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sacktown Talks. Make sure to like and subscribe on the YouTube page or rate and review wherever you listen to the podcast. Thanks to our producers, Phil and Vernon. We'll be back with you on Friday. Uh,
all dreamers.